text this morning is Philippians 1, 18b to 26, where he said that he was to rejoice, and then it starts, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Philippians gives us an important lesson on spiritual optimism. In Philippians 1, verse 12 to 18a, we read that together. The Holy Spirit urges us to see that God can use difficult situations in order to promote the advance of the gospel. And after looking back at all that had happened until that day, the Apostle sums it all up to say, in every way Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In the next part of verse 18, the Apostle then lifts his eyes up and he looks ahead to the different possible outcomes of the court case, to his possible execution, to the uncertain future of the fragile newly planted churches and without wavering he affirms yes I am rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed and I will rejoice when we believe in the providence of God we can confess as we do in Lord's Day 10 with a view to the future we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. And we ask, well, how can Paul speak so confidently in such an, an uncertain time when he does not know if he will live or die? The text makes it clear that he can speak so confidently because he is not basing his confidence and his certainty on his own capability to defend himself in court or, or even to, to be strong enough to sustain it all. But his confidence is based solely and completely on God's promises for his church. Look at the, the words that Paul uses. Verse 19, he can, he can know. Let's use it again in verse 25. I, I know. In verse 25, he says, I am I'm convinced. He is convinced that the Spirit of God will help him. Verse 19 again. 
that he will help him to honor Christ, verse 20, for the well-being, for the progress of the church, verse 25, and the glory of Christ's name, verse 26. And he knows that will happen whether in life or in death. The Holy Spirit has ensured that this letter, containing a lot of what Paul is seeing and experiencing personally, that this, this letter is read in all the churches. It has the same message that Paul had and read as, as we have for us today as we read it. We can share in the apostles' confidence, for we have been blessed with the same rich promises. And I preach to you this gospel that God's promises give us certainty in life and in death. We have certainty that the Spirit of Jesus Christ will be with us. We have certainty that the name of Jesus Christ will be honored. And we have certainty that the victory of Jesus Christ will be experienced. The, pa the Apostle Paul could have certainty in life and death because he knew that he was being supported through the prayers of the Christian believers. Look at that in verse 19 and think about that. Think about the power of your prayers. Paul knew it was the promise of God. He knew that God had responded to the prayers of the saints throughout the Old Testament, throughout the centuries. That God had promised to hear the prayers of the saints. He knew that Jesus Christ had looked at the church and he had told the people of God that whatever they asked, whatever they asked for in his name would be given to them. The promise of the Holy Spirit was seen when the, when the apostles saw an answer to their prayers that, that they had boldness and courage to preach the gospel. You can read about that in Acts 4, verse 29 to 31. You see, Paul knew, and we can know, that prayers for the well-being of God's servants, they are more than just thoughts or well wishes. My thoughts are with you. But intercessions and supplications that are brought right into the throne room of the Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ, to the place where the sovereign God, who has legions of angels ready at hand, where he can send the help we need. Paul knew that. He said, your, your prayers, brothers, are supporting me. God is sending help so that I can carry out this ministry. He was counting heavily on the churches to carry out his ministry on his behalf. God's nearness to his church, his response to, to the prayers of the saints that continues to give us confidence even in uncertain times. God answers prayers. Believers can know that when they ask, the Spirit of Jesus Christ will help. Look at that expression in verse 19. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's most likely a reference 
to God, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father and the Son sent down to earth at Pentecost to dwell within God's people. The Spirit that is sent to guide the church through the tempests and tribulations to certain deliverance. The Apostle Paul says that he is certain that this will work out for his salvation. No matter what happens to him physically, God's promise to save his own in Jesus Christ, that promise cannot be thwarted, cannot be taken away. Yet as we continue to read the passage, we can see that when Paul is talking about deliverance, he's not just thinking about his entrance into heaven. We can see that he is certain that the spirit of Jesus Christ within him would help him in his encounter with all his opponents on the way to heaven. This deliverance is, is speaking of more than just eternal salvation. Paul is thinking of his situation today, his, his battle today. And it's striking to see that neither Paul's request nor the Lord's answer was focused on getting rid of the problem by escaping the battle or destroying all the opponents of the gospel. Rather than focusing on our own well-being, our personal comforts, the prayers of the saints are prayers for steadfast faith in the midst of opposition. That's how we sang it in Psalm 25. We pray for the strength in the midst of the battle. Guard my life. Let me not be put to shame. May integrity protect me. God has still given the world time for repentance. God is still using the, the church as instruments to bring the gospel to the world. And our Lord Jesus urged his followers to love all those who do not yet know the gospel. He calls us to have compassion on the very people who are persecuting the church. You can read about that in Matthew 5. As the Apostle had shown earlier in the chapter, it was his greatest desire. It's the greatest desire of the church to see the kingdom of God continue to advance in these difficult times. And so he prayed for the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, so that he could be a useful instrument in God's hands. Paul's certainty about his salvation, his deliverance, was a certainty that the Spirit of Christ would supply him with the help that he needed in whatever situation he would face in this life. He counted on the prayers of the saints and the help of God's Spirit to grant him steadfast conviction that it was not shameful to be a Christian. Devotion to honoring Christ with his body. And faithfulness to his office and calling as an apostle to the new churches. You can see those three parts in these verses we read together. The spirit of Jesus Christ accompanies us on our journey. And the spirit of Jesus Christ is powerful 
to bring changes to the hearts of people, the very hearts. Paul expects that the Spirit will guard his own heart to give him an ongoing assurance of his conviction, courage in his mind when he faces his opponents. It's, it's how God helps us in our struggles. He says that it is his expectation and hope, and it's a very unique expression. He, he's talking, he's using language that, that points to him sticking his head out in confidence, absolute confidence. It's, it's, it's his expectation and hope that he will not at all be ashamed of the truth. The spirit within him would, would guide him, that he would continue to receive what he needs for his unfinished work among the churches. And it would appear as we read these verses that he even expected and hoped the spirit of Christ would work in the hearts of the judges to let him go free from prison so that he could continue to teach and rejoice together with the believers. And whenever things are uncertain in our lives, we don't know exactly what the future will bring, we can know with certainty that God is near to us, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is a powerful force to help us remain steadfast and courageous under pressure to fill our hearts with an immortal desire to honor Christ by serving God's people. The name of Jesus Christ, we can be certain, will be honored. The Apostle Paul could confirm that when we are carried along by the prayers of believers as we pray for one another and, and we're carried along by the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our hearts, then Christ will be honored. It's a promise already in Psalm 2. The Lord established that the name of his Son would be exalted above all the rulers of the earth. And immediately before his death, our Lord Jesus thanked his Father, saying, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The goal of missions, you see, is not the number of converts, first of all, but it is the increasing honor of the name of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a good way to live your life. Think about the increasing honor of the name of Jesus Christ and your place in this calling. The Church of Jesus Christ can be confident that as long as Christians have bodies here on the earth, their courage and their unwillingness to be ashamed of the truth will lead to the advance of the prestige of the name of Christ. And as we read these verses, we realize, brothers and sisters, that sometimes we underestimate the power of the truth. Sometimes it even happens when we, we hear so many different ideas and so much opposition. Maybe you've had that as an experience in, in university or in your, in your workplace, a secular workplace. There's so many people making fun of you little Christians. But sometimes we, we even feel that 
It's embarrassing. Maybe we feel embarrassed by some of what we believe because we know the world is mocking and ridiculing this part of our, our faith, whether it be the creation of the world in six days or a God who made male and female or the revelation of God's divine sovereign election or the teaching that adultery is a sin or even our desire to be faithful in our worship and sing psalms and gather together two times on, on the Lord's Day. We sometimes feel embarrassed. We sometimes even feel the need that, that we need to protect God's honor by not telling the, the whole truth or talking more quietly about some things, keeping, keeping them indoors. However, when the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the, the victor, when he is within us, he, he urges us to see faithfulness to the truth of God's word will result in the honoring of Christ's name. Because rejecting it or not, people will be able to see who the great king we worship is. They will see and hear the, honor, the, the name of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens to our bodies, brothers and sisters, we can be confident that we will rejoice. God's Spirit will be with us. Christ's name will be honored. And the way to honor Christ with our bodies is further revealed in this passage when Paul talks about his fruitful labor. It's in verse 22. For Paul, the word labor means putting his body through the rigors of long journeys, both over land and sea. He's, he's honoring Christ with his body. It, it meant a sacrifice for him. It meant entering, imagine doing this, teenagers, young people, imagine doing this, entering by foot into large foreign cities, constantly looking for opportunities to share the gospel with new people. And if you open your Bible in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 28, you can hear the description of his labors, his imprisonments. It's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. His countless beatings and how often he was near death. And so I'll read that together starting... In verse 25, 3, verse 24, sorry, starting verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. That happened, we read about in Philippi. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Labor, labor for the honor 
of Christ's name. And Paul can be thankful that it was fruitful labor as he remembers the churches that were planted. Paul honored Christ in his body. It's a calling for, for believers not to shy away from difficult circumstances. Paul was so certain that Christ would be honored in his body that once it was clear to him that remaining in the flesh was necessary on account of the churches, Paul is driven by Christ, he's driven by the call to, to be an apostle to the churches. In verse 24, he comes to the conclusion that it's necessary for him to remain, so he told the churches, I will see you again, verse 26. There simply was, was nothing that could hinder the need to honor Christ in his body. He knew he was there to continue with them for their progress and for their joy in the faith. That's verse 25. And so Paul could speak to them with confidence. He was called to honor Christ in his body. There was work to be done. He knew with confidence that he would be there to do it. Now Paul was an apostle. Paul was inspired being used by God at a unique time and unique circumstances. Paul knew what to expect. Paul knew his calling and his specific task. But that doesn't mean that, that we can then come to specific conclusions about our future based on what we judge as necessary. It's important to remember that doesn't mean that we can promise a young father or mother that they will not succumb to the cancer because it is more necessary for them to remain on earth on account of their children. We cannot have the same, make the same promises with respect to the specific details and plans of God for our lives. But we can be sure, we can repeat the general principle that Paul began with in verse 20. We can always tell someone, now as always, Christ will be honored in your body, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens to the bodies of Christ, of, of Christian believers, we can be sure that we will share in the victory of Jesus Christ. The victory of Jesus Christ will be experienced. If a retired soldier sitting in his chair with his feet up and his Greek slaves around him doing all the work if he wanted to comment on his comfortable life, he might say to his servants in Greek, Ah, Zane Christos. That's Greek, means ah, life is good. The Romans had fought many battles. The emperor had gained many victories. And, and now in the peace of Rome, there's a time for some me time. And perhaps Paul was thinking of such people who were only focused on their, their own comforts and that easy life when he said, not Zane Christos, 
life is good. But for me, ta zain Christos, life living is Christ. Not zain Christos, but zain Christos. Not life is good, but life is Christ. Paul starts the sentence for, to me, he's distinguishing the spiritual perspective, living for Christ from those who were preaching Christ out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. Christ for a living. Not Christ for a living. Not life is good because it's comfortable, but living for Christ. Life is Christ. He rejoiced. It's true that Christ is proclaimed also in pretense. But he knew the better way was to elevate Jesus Christ above all other concerns in our lives. He, he felt that, that the church is called to a, a higher goal. Christians believe the gospel that Christ has risen from the dead. That Jesus Christ has prepared a place for us in the Father's house in heaven. That's the, the promise that we do all our work remembering and permeates our whole existence. <clears throat> our Lord Jesus told us that he is the resurrection and the life. And then he added in John 11 this promise, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Every day of our lives, we may remember that in Christ, our physical death is just a doorway that carries us from one way of honoring Jesus Christ to another way of honoring Jesus Christ. His victory does not result in more me time, but rather his victory means that Christ himself becomes everything to us both today and forevermore. He has raised us up to a new life of service to him. We may experience his victory because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21, what a beautiful expression. Jesus Christ's victory over death makes him an eternal king of a kingdom that is advancing until he, he comes again in glory. While we are alive, we are called to service with such complete dedication and focus that Paul can say living is Christ. He means that living has no significance without Christ, for Christ is the source of all our strength. Philippians 4, 13. His righteousness covers us like a, a mantle, covers over our sins like, like a mantle. So when people see us, they just see Christ. And his spirit makes us desire what the Lord Jesus Christ desired. We have the mind of Christ. We'll see that in chapter 2. And so every day we are a people celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. We live our lives with rejoicing because of Jesus Christ. We, we, we reflect Jesus Christ to, to everyone. Living is Christ. 
That's the reason and the motivation for our labor in the kingdom. It is the, the reason for our love to our neighbors because living is Christ. We can already experience the victory of Jesus Christ in that love, in living Christ. In the progress, Paul talks about the progress, the advance of the kingdom, verse 25. We can see the victory of Christ in the advance through mission and through, through outreach. We can see it in the joy of faith and believers. Your joy is pointing to the victory of Jesus Christ today. To live, to dedicate our entire life to Jesus Christ. You look at your lives, and brothers and sisters, think about your priorities, think about your, your goals. Can you, can you say, live for me, to live is Christ. And even after they die, the victory of Jesus Christ will continue to be experienced by everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And in our text, the Holy Spirit tells us, verse 23, they will depart and be with Christ, which the Holy Spirit tells us is far better. To live is Christ, and to die is also Christ. Except that when we die, we will be nearer to Jesus Christ. That will be a wonderful thing. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8. Although those who die are no longer able to do fruitful labor among the churches on earth, and that's why you can see why Paul was hard-pressed. If I have to choose, I don't know what it'll be. I can't do any more fruitful labor. And yet, the knowledge that your work on earth stops should not make anyone afraid to die. In fact, it, it makes you more confident in your life. And so you see that what Paul was thinking, although after we die, we may no longer be able to experience Christ's victory in the advance of the kingdom here on earth, in the joyful atmosphere of being in a congregation like this, so full of singing, rejoicing Christians. Yet we will also continue to experience the victory, and the glory of the heavenly habitation that our Savior has prepared for us. We'll sing about that when we sing Lord's Day 1. What a wonderful perspective for all of our lives. Christ is your life. When your life is hidden in Christ, then you can never lose. God's promises are sure and they are true. In the same way that no man can prevent the sun from shining on the planet that we live on, so also no one can shut out the light of the gospel of the Son of God. He will always be with his church because no opponent can hinder the prayers of our hearts and minds nor remove the spirit from our hearts. Jesus Christ's name will always be honored because his people will always be guided by the spirit so they are not ashamed while they are living and if someone should come and, and kill us for our faith that death itself honors Jesus Christ. And the victory is always experienced by believers in life and in death because he is a king of an eternal kingdom. 
that is advancing one heart at a time, bringing increasing joy in the faith, as all those who are established in the faith are given ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ. We have the same promises as Paul did, as he shared with the churches in Philippi, and as we look forward to our futures, we can live our Christian lives with the same confidence. May our faithful God and Father help us in this by his Spirit. Amen.